This is Melissa, and it is April the 23rd, 2023, and today's Redux is the first 47 minutes of a nearly four-hour talk that Alan Watt gave on May the 10th, 2020, entitled, The Dark Dominion Disdains Your Opinion, Roll Up to See the Fourth Industrial Revolution, Post-Democratic, Post-Republic, post-constitution. And the reason that I picked this initially, although I got into it and saw how rich it was, but I was thinking that I wanted to carry on thematically with the new Programmed People Midweek excerpt series that we started two weeks ago. And the one that went up on Wednesday was called Suggestibility. So I did a keyword search for suggestible, suggestibility, and this was one of the talks that came up. The idea of how we're programmed and how many of us are suggestible is important to understand when we try to process information that's coming at us from all directions. Who's putting it out there? Why? What's the spin? And, you know, one thing that Alan was fond of saying is that, you know, no matter how diligent we are, no matter how much we study, we can't know everything. In the excerpt that went up on Wednesday, Alan went through the hypnosis idea and what percentage of people will be immediately suggestible to an idea. And he went through that again in this talk, coincidentally, so therefore I chose it. But he gets into propaganda, how propaganda rules the world, and talks about the World Economic Forum, everything will be green and sustainable, we'll have new normals. He went into the idea of the art of persuasion. It's an art, but he said it's also a science. And one of the goals here is lifelong vaccination program. And we can see from looking around us how short life might be with the vaccination program. Another key thing that leapt out at me as he's what he did in this first 47 minutes was talk about the same group of people, call it a hive, if you will, at the top. I say hive because those at the top seem to move. I, I, know, I understand that there is coordination, but they move effortlessly in unison with their plan. And Alan said in describing this and the people who orchestrate this agenda, evil is the word to use, folks. I mentioned last week William, Dr. William Mackus, a Canadian doctor who's done a very simple approach of showing who has died or who has had a blood clot or a stroke. And he'll start off with, like the one that I that just came in this week that I was looking at is chefs who have died recently. And he brings you one top chef. This was, this was from yesterday. Young chefs are dying suddenly and unexpectedly. 28 sudden deaths. So these are chefs all over the world. Um, he puts COVID-19 vaccine mandates, question mark. He starts off with a 
a chef of, at the age of 56 who died April 3, 2023, in France. UK chef Matt Halford, 38, died suddenly March 18. Royal chef Graham Newbold, 66, died suddenly March. South African celebrity chef, I won't try to say that name, Age 37, died February 28 after a short illness. Finnish chef, another name I won't try to pronounce, age 29, died suddenly. And so he goes on to give you, there's a link that you can click on for each one of these deaths, 28 of them that he highlights. So I've spent a good, uh, you know, a little bit of time each week looking at Dr. Mackis's site. And these stories and the simple way in which he covers it, of course, we don't have all of the facts. We don't know for certain that all of these people have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, boosted, etc. We can only go by what we're told, and that is limited. As with everything else about this COVID operation, we're given very little information that we can really count on as being true. And we have to actually say that much of it is probably untrue. So after the section that I cut, uh, I took the first 47 minutes, Alan did touch on some interesting things. And so for those of you who want to listen to the full nearly four hours, please do. If you've listened to it before, you might want to just uh, speed through it and find a few highlights. But one of the things that Alan was talking about was an article that had been released. It actually was done by one of the editors at the British Medical Journal on the deaths and injuries from the pandemic vaccination that was promoted around the 2009 H1N1 so-called pandemic, also called the swine flu. Now, the stats that Neil Ferguson, the the model that he was giving, was that 65,000 people in the UK were going to die from this pandemic. In reality, it was less than 500 people. But they had quite a few deaths from the vaccine. It's no longer being marketed. There was a big lawsuit and more than 60 million pounds in damages were awarded. Young people especially were impacted. There were 60 deaths from, uh, or alleged deaths is the way they put it in legalese, from uh, brain damage from the vaccine. And I just wanted to share a little bit about that. This this is coming essentially from the report that Ellen read from. According to the report of adverse events dated December 2, 2009, there were a reported 3,807 adverse events related to pandemics. 1,138 of which were serious and 47 of which were fatal. And we now know that there were more fatalities than that. Adverse events of special interest detailed in the report included 141 cases of anaphylaxis, 12 cases of facial palsy, and 51 cases of convulsions. Now what is interesting to me 
is that Neil Ferguson, who got it wrong and got it wrong and got it wrong, still managed to be the UK spokesperson on COVID policy. He was even exposed for going to visit his mistress during lockdown. None of this matters. There, there has never been any pushback from people who get so-called busted. And Anthony Fauci was no exception to this either. This is from Peter Doshi, the editor of the British Medical Journal, the article that he wrote or the study that he did on the failure for the medical agencies to acknowledge the so-called safety signals of this vaccine. He said, in October 2009, the U.S. National Institutes of Health Infectious Diseases Chief Anthony Fauci appeared on YouTube to reassure Americans about the safety of the, quote, swine flu, end quote, vaccine. He said, the track record for serious adverse events is very good. It's very, very, very rare that you ever see anything that's associated with the vaccine that's a serious event. The Royal Colleges of General Practitioners in the UK, they were working hard to convince their reluctant NHS workforce to get vaccinated. They said, we fully support the swine flu vaccination program. The vaccine has been thoroughly tested, they declared in a joint statement. That was the Department of Health, the British Medical Association, and the Royal Colleges of General Practitioners. What Alan said in this talk, um, as you get deeper into the four hours, is that medical professionals knew that there were dangers. They were falsifying documents, in other words, saying, oh, I got a vaccine because they could find another medical professional to say that they vaccinated them. So I think it's easy to see why Alan could say something like, evil is the word to use, folks. This is a long-term agenda. Alan talked about going as far back as the League of Nations formation in the early 20th century, that vaccination was a big part of the long-term agenda. I'm doing a little research this afternoon. I stumbled on a timeline from the Mayo Clinic. They said the history of disease outbreaks and vaccines timeline. So it started off with the 1918 influenza, gave you some statistics on that, getting into the 30s and the 40s. Researchers study flu viruses, develop flu vaccines. 1945, the first flu vaccines are approved for use for people who aren't in the U.S. military. Again, with statistics, you know that old saying, there are lies, damned lies, and statistics. And statistics are interesting because you can find consensus occasionally and you can find all kinds of holes in just a basic question like how many people died in the 2009 H1N1 pandemic that year. A consensus that I find is that in the U.S. there were 12,469 deaths. Just compare that with Ferguson's model of the UK, which is a much, much smaller country than the United States. They were predicting 65,000 deaths. They got less than 500. The US is an enormous country. They had 12,469 deaths. If you go by Worldometer's statistics, then indeed the COVID operation 
has had nearly 7 million deaths in three years. But because we know that there are many, many factors at play, what was this? Where did it originate? What is it exactly? Is it the flu? Is it like the flu? Is it slightly more dangerous than the flu? Were these people given remdesivir and stuck on a ventilator? We know the the scam of the cases, the PCR, and what constitutes a case as opposed to an actual person with an illness that has symptoms that can be measured. So if you take that number and divide it over three years, then indeed you are looking at the world's worst pandemic. But those of us who survived the last three years, we know that's not what we saw. What we saw is an agenda and operation. And what we are seeing with our own eyes, I hear from people who are witnessing in their circle of friends and family died suddenly, rapid, what, what they're calling turbo cancers, rapid turbo cancers. So I heard from someone recently who lost his father to a blood clot about a month after he had received his third vaccination. And there was also the died suddenly death of someone very close to him. So we are all seeing this fallout in our lives, someone who knows someone, you know, I, 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 the more that I speak to people or interact with people, the more common these stories are becoming. And again, I'm reminded of what Alan said, evil is the word to use, folks, because those who are doing this to us, they know exactly what they're doing. This is the cull this long planned for something that Alan spoke about for many, many years, the culling of the human population. One of the things that Alan said in this talk, because he always managed to get humor in the darkest, most painful stories that he would read. He just had that wonderful sense of humor and it always came through. And he was talking about this fourth industrial revolution that we're going into, the World Economic Forum, all the players, Club of Rome, and, and the whole green sustainability. He said um, they had to go the next step, obviously. So he's talking about the COVID operation because the exact same agenda is being rammed through by the World Economic Forum the forum, of course, you find the big corporations that backed all the sustainability and the greening of society and post-consumerism. And then he's talking about how they they promised us, and again, this is back in 2020, in the spring of 2020, he said, um, so the World Economic Forum, of course, last year talked about the sustainability programs and how we just weren't listening well enough and all the terror and fear of us frying to death with the global warming wasn't really working, so they would go the next step, and here you are. The same characters, all the same characters, are involved with the Club of Rome, the usual circle of friends that they have, including the ones who are in charge of the supposed health of different countries, too, that are all on board with the same thing, the same people. 
many of them are actually openly talking about it. They'll have a green world when they come out of this, and no business will be allowed to start up if it's got any adverse effect on the planet or the climate or anything at all that's against. If it's just profit, it's taboo. It's got to be a green profit, you see. So they're going to accomplish a whole bunch of agendas here all at once. Meanwhile, what they give us as a news story is something that happened here locally last week. Methane gas explosion in a Texas dairy farm kills 18,000 cows. And this story is just ridiculous. They want us to believe that a dairy farm exploded because the cows were all together in one place and the methane gas that they were emitting built up and caused an explosion. We know that our food supplies are under attack and one of the things that Alan goes into in this talk is agribusiness and and small and mid-sized farms being put under and we're seeing this all around us, you know, it's one poultry farm after another exploding or catching fire. I say these things, Alan said these things, not to terrify or scare people. It's really bleak right now. That's true. It's dark days and darker days ahead. But Alan was always talking, directing his talks to the individual. And he was such a believer in the power of one individual, one individual and their thoughts, if they are aligned with the truth, we never have any knowledge. Alan would make a analogy of a thought or a word being a stone, a pebble that is skipped across a lake. And there's a ring and then another ring and a ring. And the effect of that one little pebble sends these rings out. It can be quite large. And that's the power of an individual. So the thing to focus on is not the ridiculous onslaught of so-called news that will not stop and will only become crazier as time goes on. Not to have this feeling of you don't know which way to turn or how to support yourself or how to pay your property taxes or put food on the table or it's just stay focused on what is true and the big picture keep yourself in the war as a sentient individual i just did a a little bit of searching around covid and green and i came up with a document that the world health organization put out in 2020 i couldn't determine when exactly in 2020 it was released but it it was a manifesto and my goodness we have to be afraid of manifestos so this is entitled who manifesto for a healthy recovery from covid-19 i'll post this document but i think that you will find it really interesting because you would have to ask yourself Why is the World Health Organization thinking about some of these things? There were essentially three points in the manifesto. The first is to protect nature. I don't really need to elaborate on that. (laughs) The second point in the manifesto was safe drinking water. 
And I think, okay, now we're, we're edging into health. But they tied in clean energy in that safe drinking water bullet point. They need to, we need to improve energy efficiency of household appliances, buildings, lighting, heating, and cooling. Third point, we need to ensure a quick and healthy energy transition. We need, we must rapidly transition away from fossil fuel combustion. Support the transition to zero carbon economy. Now we, we know, we've heard Alan say this a lot, and this is the truth, we emit carbon, right? <laughs> so zero carbon economy means that we're all dead, I guess, and they're, we, they have their little AI robot world. One of the stories that I just saw today is that Moderna has teamed up with IBM so that IBM can help Moderna better utilize artificial intelligence for developing mRNA vaccines. And I mentioned last week that Elon Musk had tweeted, oh, the best thing to come out of this all is the uh, mRNA technology. And, you know, yeah, he said, yeah, there were a few things we telling people that we didn't have quite have the, the mix right on the vaccines, and we were telling people to have too many... There are no saviors here, you see? There are no saviors that we are given, the people who purport to be for us, who purport to be against censorship, who purport that they are on our side. You, we have a world here. The situation is them and us, and them are the people who want to kill us. It's a fairly simple equation. Alan used to say, I've heard him say it on air, he said it to me quite a few times, I've got two enemies here. This cabal, our ruling elite who want to kill us, and the masses who go along, who comply each step of the way. So I'm talking, hopefully, to a few sentient individuals who aren't complying, who are thinking for yourselves. But please don't get caught up in, oh, this person is speaking on my behalf. This person is going to be our savior. One of the interesting things that um, Alan, you know, Alan wasn't one to uh, complain about being what he, the way he would put it is being hard done by, you know. That just wasn't his thing. And part of it, he said, is it would just sound like sour grapes. But he said, in talking about the suggestibility of people and persuasion as a, of persuading people as a science, he said, but maybe 7% or so, even less, can't be brought under. They're not hypnotizable. That's always been a problem for those who rule, especially in this day and age when they use sciences very, very efficiently to bring people under the spell of whatever they're trying to push or get them to behave a certain way or do whatever they want them to do. What I'm saying isn't that far-fetched. I mean, the talks I've given, this is Alan, for instance, over many, many years get condensed by some people you know awfully well, actually, and then they're promoted by higher authorities to push the same stuff. But I've been giving these talks for years and years. I'm not charging. You can go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. 
Then he went on to say a little bit later in the talk, please go to the website, use the website. He said everybody else does. He said, remember, you can always go into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and get all the links that I put up. I do the work for a lot of different people that eventually use it and never mention me. And then Alan chuckles. I do all the work. They have nothing else to do. Just go for the links, basically. So I'll put it up and you can read it for yourself. What Alan was saying there in his just off-the-cuff way is that he knew that he was an amazing one-man research and analyzer of material and that many people used his material, never said boo, never said where they got it. And I remember hearing people, sometimes even friends of his would say, oh, well, you know, the information's getting out and and we're all in this together, right? <laughs> Which would horrify Alan because we're not all in this together. There are authorized voices. Alan was not one of them. And there are people who just need to put a spin on it because they've been authorized to be there to make you think that they speak for you and they don't. What this is, you know, this seeming wave of people who are supposedly on our side this is the buffer between them and you grabbing a pitchfork. You see what I'm saying? And they need a really big buffer. And the buffer works on all levels. So some of them are kind of fringe off into weird conspiracy theories. Some of them are more mainstream. But I just wanted to give you a little example um, of how this works. In February... On the 5th, Not Sure posted an article entitled Wartime Scenarios Part 2, Hack Attack. And this is what that article said. This was about looking into the Club of Rome and trying to understand some things that were being promoted by the Club of Rome and how they tie into what's going on. From the Club of Rome, I went to the World Economic Forum this is a site that I have visited many times over the past years, a site that I thought I was familiar with. As many of their programs and initiatives as I've studied, I hadn't stumbled into the gulf. Even reviewing their Young Global Leaders program didn't take me to the gulf. The Global University Leaders Forum, Gulf, community consists of the presidents of the world's leading universities who are committed to supporting the forum's mission of improving the state of the world. Together, Gulf presidents identify and address matters of common interest, including trends, challenges, and best practices in higher education, research, and societal impact. The community is comprised of 29 members and is chaired by Suzanne Fortier, now retired, by the way, of McGill University. The Gulf community will focus on how universities can facilitate a more equal and inclusive recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, including through exploring the skills for the future and reskilling, reskilling new skills, social inclusion, and climate action. Fortier worked on using artificial intelligence and other mathematical and machine learning techniques to determine the structure of proteins. This is important. 
this machine learning is important. This is um, a different quote in that same not sure piece that all blockchain roads lead to the World Economic Forum. So this was something from a paper that they published in 2018, Building Blockchains for a Better Planet. The majority of the world's current environmental problems can be traced back to industrialization, particularly, okay, blah, 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 blah. We are now seeing a convergence of the digital, physical, and biological realms. Emerging technologies, including the Internet of Things, virtual reality, and possibilities for future generations. Well, they must mean future generations of robots, because at the rate in which they are culling us, I don't think that we are the future generations that they have in mind. The point that I was making there is that a month later, in my email, I received something that came from the substack of a huge so-called alternative voice in the medical freedom uh, arena. And the, the title, the headline of the substack was Top Universities, Tools of the WEF. The WEF's Committee of Presidents from the World's Leading Universities. Now, the way this is presented, that you know, this person did say this big name, and I'm not going to name them because, you know, they're authorized and I'm not. They did say that it was a reader of their substack that sent them that information. I point this out not because it's like, oh, well, you know, Alan needed to be the first, you know, known as the person who put that out, or I need to be known as the person who put that piece of information out. I mention this because we are not all in this together. There is a there there are very few people remaining who think for themselves, who are not suggestible, who are not going along. That seven percent that Alan mentioned. And we are not authorized to talk. We are not authorized to communicate. And I think it's important that we find each other, that we somehow communicate with each other the best that we can in whatever hobbled together, makeshift little forums that we can come up with, because those who say that they've got our back, whether it's blue-collar billionaires or tech billionaires who want to safeguard our freedom of speech. These are just the talking points that they know we want to hear. We're so well studied. And so they're giving us our heroes. Don't bite. When I need information... I go back to Alan's talks. I can always find, no matter how old the talk is, no matter how short or how long, I can find a departure point there. I can find something that I know that if I dig a little bit, I'll find something new, just like that Who manifesto was a new discovery for me. What that tells me, what it says in writing from their own site, 
is that none of this has anything to do with a pandemic that is occurring now, then, or in the future. This is about mandating vaccines. This is about altering us genetically. And this is about culling us and sending the rest off to some pasture until the next iteration of humans has been achieved. And so now here is Alan. Enjoy. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of May, 2020. As always, I hope you're <laughs> pulling through all this uh, craziness we're going through at the moment as the big agenda rolls forward in a desperate act, really. Not the last of, a, of the list, the whole list of ABCDEs to fall back on, but because people haven't really fallen for the whole climate idea and they're not cutting back on their consumption of things and so on and going vegan and and, and they're still having children, some of them, believe it or not. In this day and age, some people are still having children. I mean, live births, that is, you know, and, and then taking care of them. Uh, then they had to go to the next step, obviously, because it's the exact same agenda is being rammed through by the WEF, the World Economic Forum. And in the forum, of course, you find the same big corporations that backed all the sustainability and the greening of society and the post-consumerism. You'd think it's crazy when big corporations want you to stop consuming so much. Well, they still want you to consume what they own or rule or run, especially the energy sector as well, because uh, they benefit from it. Because what they lose through any decision by government, the government pays them the difference. So they don't lose at all. Uh, that's how things really work in this, this modern society. And it's been like that for quite a long time, ever since it was first announced, the public-private partnership deals that Prince Charles was sent out to proclaim to the general population of the planet. And it was on the go even before that was had happened, of course, because of the views this in times of wars, in fact, World War One and Two, where the government basically puts major domos in charge of sectors of industry and they have dictatorial powers to get done whatever they want to get done regardless of the laws and they do it that way. Well, it's the same thing happening right now. So the WEF, of course, last year talked about the sustainability programs and how we, we just weren't listening well enough and, and all the terror and fear of us frying to death with the global warming wasn't really working. And so they go the next step. And here yet the same characters, all the same characters are involved with the Club of Rome, the, the usual circle of friends that, that they have, and, and including the ones who are in charge of uh, the supposed health of different countries too. They're all on board with the same things, same people. And many of them are actually openly talking about it. They'll have a green world when they come out of this and, and no business will be allowed to start up if it's got any, any adverse effect on the planet or the climate or, or anything at all that's against the, if it's just profit, it's just taboo. It's got to be a green profit, you see. So they're going to accomplish a whole bunch of agendas here all at once. And the public are so mind bombed, I'm sure. 
with an incredible overload of propaganda. And that's what most information is. It's not really truth. It's just propaganda, including the ones that are the anti, the, the, the ones that come out supposed to expose, uh, the, the disinformation sites, etc. They're just, they're probably some of them are the biggest propagandists out there. Propaganda rules the world. It always has run, ruled the world. And the whole history of Edward Bernays and the books he turned out and many after, of course, really just verified what he said. They understood human nature very well before they had all the extra so-called social sciences tacked onto it. And nothing, there's really nothing new under the sun, as they say. And what works even thousands of years ago can work again today if you know the formulas to introduce it. And the best one, as I said before, is fear and terror. Oh my God, this enemy over there is going to come and their chariots are going to kill you unless you listen to us and do what we say and pay us for it. And there's going to be a price, mind you, etc., etc. And we, we all have to go along with it through fear and terror. It really works awfully well. And we know from this, this COVID one that uh, it's beyond, it's beyond... Um, what can you call it? It's criminal what's happened. It's criminal what's happened with a consortium of the same people, the exact same people who belong to all the climate agenda groups and and the World Economic Forum and the Club of Rome, the exact same groups all dictating to us uh, along with the so-called health experts. And, how and, and the health experts are also part of the WEF and the COR and so on. Uh, you couldn't make this up. If you want a cabal, it's a big cabal. And it's big when you look at all the organizations that are ruled. But when you see the ones, the players, who are members of all of them, it's, it's a small cadre, really. And they have their faces plastered all over televisions across the planet right now with their official uh, pre-written scripts to, to spill out to us every day. It's quite fascinating to watch it all. I don't really watch TV. I don't watch it at all, actually, but I get it, what I do from the Internet. And that's bad enough. So I can imagine that people are turned, got their TVs turned on all day long. They must be living in absolute freaking land. You know, they're freaked out and they can't get their thoughts together. And they're locked down. They can't get to work. Uh, they're all dependent on some kind of income from government handouts. And they're given no promise for a future. It's not intended. They've made quite plain. You're not going to go back to what any any, any kind of normalcy. And the ones who have to take over the new normalcy, as they call it. I did shows years ago on new normals. Nobody's copied the idea. <laughs> but but the, the thing is, this, they, give, they give you new normals. They're quite open about what they're going to bring in right now, in fact, very shortly and at least, and how it's going to affect you. What I've noticed is that these new normals are really the old uh, new normals that were put on the shelves for many years when they couldn't ram them through. But they, of course, are those who rule the world, the big organizations that literally created bridges over governments, not just between governments, but over them and around them and around the laws, too, of your nations. Uh, the very thing that a member of the Council on Foreign Relations mentioned that they would do with the states years and years ago, that rather than hit the constitution head on, as it always done and getting rebuffed, they would simply go around it and ignore it and over it, and that's what they've done with the, the whole planet, actually. It's the same agenda, a very old agenda, but um, 
But yeah, this whole, this whole set of new normals that are going to come in, such as uh, children learning from home, basically, uh, through computers and so on, as opposed to going to classrooms. Uh, a really old wish list, list that they've had for years and years sitting on, on, you know, in the high, high shelves. And now they just brush off the dust and bring out other wish lists that they've shelved as well. Same companies, same organizations, same NGOs, same big foundations. And, and away we go, of course. And they had the right fear uh, uh, to do it, the real technique of fear uh, episode to do it. And the focal compliant, because they're given no option, basically, at the moment. So that's how we're really run and ruled. It's quite fascinating to to actually live through it and watch it happening. Uh, where we we, we watch the, the incredible Malthusian type graphs that he was one of the first ones to put graphs. So he was an economist, really, for the big bank uh, banks in London at the time and the government of Britain. And of course, we are human capital. We've always been human capital. Uh, we create everything. Marx said the same thing too, and uh, everything comes from labor, basically. So you're human capital for those that run, own the capital, and you buy everything that they, they 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 make sure that you need, in a and whatever is the latest modern society you live in. You have to buy new things, and you and of course it's gone from cars and TV sets to to computers and cell phones and and everything else to do with it. So. They always make sure they're, they're, they're in charge of all the items you'll need, including, of course, the agribusinesses now. They used to have farms. We don't have so many farms now. They've been put under for many, many years, since about the 40s or 50s, really, from the 50s onwards, to make sure that the big agri-farm businesses own everything. And they, 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 of course, as we all know, old stories, but they collude, of course, they're in bed with the, the, the chemical industry that makes the the fertilizer and the herbicides and the pesticides. So it's, it's all, it all goes together. You see where it's uh, together. And the small farms have been getting put under for a long, long, long time. Beautiful really, because if you want survivability, you want lots of small farms. And if you're looking from the other side of the fence, those who want to control everything and they need a crisis or a wartime scenario, it's a perfect, perfect way to do it is to eliminate uh, ways that people can feed themselves. You can feed yourself, you've got less worries, obviously. If you can't feed yourself, you're dependent on incredible modernistic uh, Soviet-type bread lines when you're lined up outside uh, and even have, as I say, modernized. Now it's, it's all ticker tape and and marked out floors and so on that you're supposed to follow as though it's going to make any difference at all. What, what, see, what you've been living through for a long time is something, I've touched on it so many times, if folk probably get bored with it, I get bored mentioning it, but the techniques that we're going through today were designed in the 1920s and 30s and 40s by often the same people that gave us a good part of the culture you're now presently in. They designed the culture and the changes. They, they, they designed even dances to make people... Um, uh, copy foreign systems, put it that way, and sexualize everything to a high degree. The same people over and over and over, and uh, the same organizations that they actually were funded by and who th- that they worked with. Like, and, and Bertrand Russell is a classic example because he loved to boast about it in his own books. Many other ones were involved too, and they had books he had written for them. 
which has never stopped till the present day. Most books you see out there are written for them, and you might get, be surprised at some of the ones who are uh, even leading with the alternative media. <laughs> it's, the, it's the same agenda there, too. Other people write the books for them and make them stars, for those who don't know that. But Bertrand Russell talked about uh, how he could train people, even especially with children, if you get them new normal values, new normals, you see. Make that normal, whatever the new one is. Bertrand Russell said he can give them new values. The new values would be accepted by society and be unquestioned eventually. But the first thing to do is to break tradition of what words actually meant when you start. And he said it will be possible eventually, if you really had a bunch of children separate from the rest of the children in the world, in your own schools, you could train them from birth and, and tell them that that snow is, is black snow. It's naturally black. And they would see the same snow, but they would call it black from then on. So that when they mixed with other people outside their little world, enclosed little world, they'd have battles over the meanings of things. But to, to the children brought up to say that, yeah, that snow, that, that, that what they see there, which is white to everybody else, is, is black, and other people were wrong, you see. You've already started them on the way to changing the meaning of words and, and what those words eventually mean, obviously. And that's what we're living through now, too. So if you can say, well, uh, that's not a tree there, let's give it a different name altogether, uh, natural company conflict, right? Now, it's even better if you want to do uh, cognitive dissonance, as you call it, where you, where you, you shock people by, by scaring them about their own sanity. By, by by changing things halfway through normalcy uh, or your lifespan, put it that way, and suddenly you have to call something else which is obviously, which is not. Once you start that, and everybody's scratching their heads wondering why it was forced down their throats. A lot of this, this kind of stuff is because you're now in the next step of it, you see, uh, of having to walk along colored lines and, and X's on the floor and things like that. Absolute nonsense. Do you really think that a virus that you, you breathe out you, with every breath you, you, you exhale? And by, believe it or not, I mean <laughs> the whole idea of masks as well, especially the surgical masks, is a joke because you can see the old documentaries from the seventies and eighties where you see surgeons uh, with high special lenses and so on. And you see the stuff getting shot through at a, a higher velocity from the person that's behind the mask uh, and going outwards because it, it's now it's compressed and it's forced through a higher pressure through the mask and it shoots out and goes further than if, it, if you didn't have a mask on at all. So it, it's it, it, what I'm getting at is I'm not saying don't wear a mask. What I'm saying is you've been taught the, the Russell form of insanity and, and you're taught that, that this insanity is now normal. Like your lines and cues and six feet apart. Do you really think a virus is from Star Trek or something? Is that what you, you think? I mean, I mean, stop yourselves, even if you're angry at what I'm saying. What is he talking about here? Do you really think a virus is, is so programmed intelligently, right? That it says, oh, I've gone six feet from this person. I better stop right here. Do you, do you really believe that? Do you believe that? If you have the slightest breeze behind you, the slightest, you won't even feel it. It's going to go 
hundred yards, maybe maybe more. And especially since it doesn't die off quickly, what on earth is this six feet apart thing got to do with anything in reality? It's an idea. It's an idea, that's what it is. Eh? But it's training you into a form, a form of absurdity. And you have all these professionals come out try to tell you that this is quite normal scientifically and they explain it to you, etc. But it's based on ideas as opposed to reality or factual checking and counter-checking, etc., etc., etc. This is the Russell technique, basically, you're living through. And from now on, I've said, I, I gave this talk years ago, something similar. I said, when do you accept the new normals like this? Years ago, but before even the last break in 2009 and long before that too, I, I said that if you accept them, you have to go through a whole agenda now of everything being made new, every new normal, you see? Now, psychology and behaviorism and the neurosciences are all combined and have been for a long, long time. Uh, studying humans, uh, we are the main <laughs> sources of study, uh, humans, of course, for our behavior and our natural responses to things too. There's, there's nothing that really is not known about how we'll react. They also have the percentages down pretty, pretty accurately of the majority of the public. They knew back in the days of Aldous Huxley, who talked about most people being really hypnotizable or suggestible, extra-suggestible. And, and because they're prone to suggestibility, you said about 60% of the public fall under the spell of, of a well-laid-out spiel or propaganda that wants to make them do something or buy something or behave in a different fashion or believe something. So 60%, if it's said by professionals, will grab it immediately and, and dispart it, you see. Very similar to what Brzezinski said many, many years later in his own books. Aldous Huxley said that he gives a talk at Berkeley, which you can still get, if it's still up on YouTube or somewhere. But he said that uh, another 10%, another 10%, you see, um, or even 20%, could be done with more, a bit more pressure and time and patience applied by the person who wants you to, to do what they want you to do. It, it, it says you gradually bring them, oh, just try, it didn't work. Yeah, but try a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that and, and give it a bit of time and we'll work on that. And sure enough, you, you can bring them into the belief of it too, whatever it is, with a bit more time. And, and it says that then you're left with um, maybe maybe 10 or 15 percent. Uh, and... Uh, you see, they're the harder, those are the hardest ones to, to bring under. Some can't be brought under at all. And they're, they're, today that's more of a rarity. Most folk go under the spell of the professional indoctrination that, that we get fed all the time. Persuading people is a, is a, a science. How oh, you understand that? It's not just someone yapping. It's a science and they're taught to do it. The teachers are given toolkits to brainwash the children to make sure the children will be true believers in whatever's being taught and, and come out with it too. And they, it works awfully well. They, they know how to as well, just like the, the person trying to make you believe something you're not supposed to, Connie Huxley, that you perhaps you even shouldn't for your own benefit, you said. You said that 
with more, more persuasion, more, a lot more will come under. But the last, the last grouping won't, it won't happen to them. Maybe 93% can go under eventually with a lot more pressure and persuasion, or even temp, even bribery. In fact, I'll try that. We will even pay you to try that, and blah blah blah, and away they go. But maybe seven percent or so, or even less, uh, are it can't be brought under. They're not hypnotizable, and that's always been a problem for for those who rule, especially in this day and age when they use sciences to very very efficiently to bring people under the under the spell of whatever they're they're trying to push, or get them to behave a certain way, or do whatever they want them to do. What I'm saying isn't uh, that far. I mean, the talks I've given, for instance, over many, many years, get condensed by some people you know awfully well, actually, and then they're promoted high by high authorities to, to push the same stuff. But uh, I've been giving these talks for years and years and years, and I'm not charging for it either. So you can go into cuttingthroughmatrix.com, remember, to my own website. Everybody else does that you'll hear out there. And uh, you can find articles and so on and listen to my talks because I go through the, the art of persuasion in, in great detail on how it really works. Now remember, the art of persuasion does also take into it a crisis. If you can't get what you want the public to do, then create a crisis, terrify them, and, and watch them go to it. They've done it before with, with previous, at how they call them, pandemics. But uh, severe flu seasons, for instance, or novel flus too, and uh, it's always going to be a terror and a horror story, etc. And I, I gave talks last week where I pointed out from the again the main so- sources themselves that sometimes the vaccinations they put out had disastrous consequences on youngsters and adults too, with going bar syndrome. And different kinds of paralysis coming out, neurological problems. It's just astonishing what's been done. And yet the same groups are out there hyping it again for the next round. It's just amazing. Uh, the same techniques tend to work. And they know exactly how many women, as opposed to men, will be for government and authority. Women somehow, and again Hitler said the same thing, it's authority. This says, well, come here, come, come to us and do what we see. We, we, we'll, we're strong. We're here to help you and to give you faith and confidence. And, and that's what they used to aim at. And Hitler said, the women come to us during times of crisis for food and everything else. And they bypass their husbands. So the, the, the state becomes the new husband, you see. And the woman goes to the state. So they become real adherence to the state, a lot of them. And then the children, it says the children must follow the mother and then must follow the man. Or therefore must not follow the man. And so he's got no choice at the end. That's, that technique works all the time, over and over and over again. And it's just astonishing to watch it get played out once more. They, don't, they know how many men will go for it too. Which economic brackets to come from. And social systems and so on. Socioeconomic brackets they, they fall into, they have the percentage down pretty well. But they also know that lots and lots of people in the medical profession who get, who see, they do see the results of, of vaccinations. And they're terrified always to lose their jobs by saying anything. Other ones are, are, don't really care as long as they don't take it themselves. 
But over the last uh, 2009 uh, season, when they tried uh, vaccinations and so on, uh, lots of staff, uh, medical staff, as I've mentioned before, uh, covered for each other by falsifying. That, that's how scared they are of what you say. They falsified um, that, that each other, giving each other uh, the shots, you see. So they were covered because they knew that a lot of the stuff gives you terrible consequences. As I said, the German parliament refused to take the stuff which they'd mandated for the general population in Germany in 2009-10. So you're living through incredible pressures, through fear and terror to comply. Now, the big boys themselves and gals, because we have equal opportunity tyrants in this day and age, uh, they, they're all for rolling out the whole agenda and lifelong vaccinations. I've got articles from the League of Nations when they set that up about 1919 or so and they had a Department for Health then too and, and they came out then with their wish list of how they could vaccinate the whole planet for everything under the sun, most of which you'd never heard of uh, then at the time and you haven't heard of since. It really doesn't matter, but they had all these plans that they would just raise you in a socialistic society of obedience and uh, and they could get their, their wicked way with you. And of course, naturally, the private corporations that make profits off this were all behind it and helping to put out the amazing, wonderful utopian propaganda. But that vision has never never gone away. And when it morphed into the United Nations, it was still there, the same panels and all that. And uh, right into the present time, um, you have the same characters behind it. Because we've got to get out of this utopia. We've got to get out of it. Uh, that we're living in, in a very real system with caring peoples and institutions. And everything's very Disney-esque, you know, where you, you, the, the people are really nice. And the corporations are nice. And they're spoke, the CEOs are nice people. Everybody's just nice, nice, you see. We've got to get away from that. Or we're done for, you understand. You're really done for. I, I used to give talks about suspending your disbelief. You know. And that's what we're in today. Because you got to, you got to say, wait a minute here, there really are evil people in this world. Evil is the word to use, folks. That's the words to use. Is evil and dishonest and conniving and colluding with other evil people. And it's, it's, it's not new. It's like the ancient times you had it even in religions. The, the, the Old Testament had the, 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 the evil men of the world, the rich men of the world, the leaders conspiring with each other against their own peoples. Well, that's happened before. Because those at the top, they don't really see themselves as a separate group erased from anyone else. They see themselves as a, a, a super intellectual, a gifted elite. I mean gifted by the fact that they accumulate incredible wealth and can manipulate armies and nations and all the rest of it. So naturally, they used to breed in ancient times with each other quite happily. But evil is evil nonetheless. And so much of what's been done in secret is out in the open today. The Internet's an awful problem. And years ago, before I even had an Internet, I was on shows, 
because I didn't want any dual computer initially. I thought, you know, they couldn't bring this into being without a computer managing a whole planet and spying on everybody and gathering everybody's data and so on. They couldn't bring it to pass without a computer. And years later, in fact, I I heard a, a preacher in the States who was a character to himself, but he used to come out with a cigar on, on his stage, and he said the same thing. He said that um, Satan could never pull off anything for a world-type system without the use of computerization. And it's so obvious, isn't it? Whether you want to believe in religion or not, it's up to you, but the fact is, it always points that things have been done before and before and before, going back into the, the Donna Man mode. I'm sure a few cavemen at one time formed a committee to try to take over the caves of everybody in the hillside. Uh, it, that's what happens with human, human nature. Uh, the base man in psychopathy, for instance, the base man, the base psychopath, is the one who's a, an habitual criminal who ends up seeing something in a window, I want it now, and he smashes the window, grabs it, and gets caught. He's in and out of prison, and so on. But the real intelligent psychopath is up, he gravitates up towards the top on leadership positions where the power is, and where he can really fill his pockets much better, and get away with it, as opposed to getting caught by police outside a jewelry store. And these psychopaths are the ones who go into business and really get up, fly up through uh, and become CEOs. Because they're ruthless. They're, they're very pleasantly ruthless. That's the, that's the charm that uh, the psychopath can have. They're like a, a they're like an alien creature to, to look at them, really, how they operate. And they've always been a puzzlement to psychiatry. Mind you, a lot of things are puzzlements to psychiatry in this day and age because they changed their laws and everything some years ago for political reasons. So you end up with a type of, of psychopath that can be sometimes creative. Most of them are not creative. The creative ones uh, go off into tangents, and they're kind of unique in a certain way, but they're good. and often they're driven towards high art or something. And, and, uh, at least they create something, and hopefully they're not living off government grants, as they, most, as they are today in most countries in the West anyway. But the, but the creative ones can often support themselves, but their erratic behavior still is, is, is repetitive. Psychopaths at the lower levels don't learn by mistakes, so do the same things over and over again. The higher psychopaths can learn to an extent what to avoid, that they might want to still do the same things, but they'll try and avoid them if possible or find ways to get around them and still get what they want. But they have a great ability for manipulation of other people. They get other people to do all the work for them, for instance. And they'll do glad that the people around psychopaths often worship them. It's just astonishing. Uh, they, they, they praise them like a god, in fact. And um, they're like gurus. But they're, they're highly dangerous, too. If you listen to a psychopath in a higher position, if a CEO is some big corporation... Uh, when he's not at work, for instance, or she, you get some women too who are just as, as psychopathic. But uh, they can just come up with amazing statements of, of honesty from their point of view because they have no reason to hide it at that particular moment. And and they often love to boast about things too, it's another trait that they have. But 
they can be very blunt about things, uh, such as, oh yeah, there's just too many people, you know, they're all, they're quite open about it, and they should just be eliminated, yada, yada, yada. Well, these same people, remember, are the, are the people who gravitate up to the World Economic Forum, and there are special clubs there, and I mentioned before the Lucky Gene Club that some of the well-known people belong to, it's got other names too, naturally. But I'll touch on that tonight. But that's where they all meet, and then the Club of Rome, and then they can get persuade governments. They can persuade governments. I, I, I think we're so corrupt they probably bribe governments actually uh, to basically do their bidding at times and and get statutes and laws passed to do with the agendas that they want to carry through. A greatest danger in this day and age is the fact that really, for a long time, they have built these bridges over us and around us and bypassed our laws by creating these supranational entities that we don't vote for. And, and because they've been around for maybe 40 years, some of them, you think they're normal. No, they're not normal. Uh, they were created, they're artificial entities created to rule us. And, and to get away from this idea of, of you electing governments who are responsible to you. Uh, very dangerous indeed, because you're now under a system which you can't control. You can't, you can't vote people out of office because, oh, we've got nothing to do with it. It's this, uh, this uh, agency that's, that's grafted itself on as an a, a auxiliary to government in a sense, you see. And that's where we are today with all of this. But what we're living through today, as I've said before, is just the same agenda that's been hammering away for many, many years from the days of the, oh, Thomas Malthus. And Malthus is every first year, uh, social sciences student gets taught about Malthus, but not to denigrate him, but to actually applaud him. And, and oh, he's a great man. And Malthus, as I say, was just one, he just hated the, the people. Uh, the ordinary folk. And to him, and as an economist, you either had a function for, that suited them, or that you're superfluous, and, and you're, you're just, uh, you, you should be eliminated, basically. That was Malthus's idea. And he came out with, with these charts and graphs they're still using today. It's very impressive. It shocks people, you know. And uh, works awfully well. And since most folk can never understand them, Especially when you present with about 10 in, in, in a half hour setting, maybe 50 minute setting, you've totally confused them, but they'll go along with what you say because, because they don't understand it. You gaslight them in a sense and they, they sit back and their brain shuts down and they're just ears listening. You must know what you're talking about. I don't understand you. You're a professional. I'm not. So I'll take your opinion. And that's, that's good enough for me. That's how things work. It's very simple. It's the same technique uh, that, that preachers used. In America especially, uh, because they talk so fast. It's the first thing that hits people when they come over. Uh, when you listen to some of the, the TV evangelists especially, they're like superstar Hollywood types. They use the same lighting scenarios as Hollywood. They have massive staffs doing lighting and sound. It's like a big production, a big, like, a, like a, a rock band would use. Sometimes more equipment than a rock band would use for the big, big one, the presentations. But they talk so fast and have all the... the, the, the Jimmy Swaggart was awfully good with, with, the, with the poses he would do. And he would pose like Elvis Presley with his legs, the legs split apart, you know, and, and the microphone stuck outside in that gesture, etc. Everything but the cape of Elvis. 
but it was very effective to the people who followed. They, and, and you talk at a rapid, rapid pace, very rapid, so fast. This is a trick to it too, a lot of them, that you can't keep up with it. Your, your mind doesn't have time to analyze what's being said, and so eventually you shut down your critical thinking part. The, 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 the information is going through, it shuts down, and you, then you sit back and you're downloaded by the stuff that's being downloaded because you can't keep up with it, and and as I say, basically use your sensor part to to analyze the data as it's coming into you, and it works very well. It's a kind of browbeating technique, you see. Certain ads use the same stuff, stuff. and the other t- the way to do it is again by by quieter techniques and using more science and the science is that of persuasion uh, and getting you to come to the, the proper conclusions about things the desired conclusions when you, and you'll still never understand it but you have this big impression in your head of these massive graphs oh look at that graph that spike here wow wow and eventually you just listen to what they say and you say well that's just fantastic if I invest in this company I'll I'm going to go up in a spike by the end of about eight months and yada yada. Or alternately, we're all going to die if we don't do this in eight months. And that's how presentations are worked out for the public. There are sciences, this whole, I mean, if you go into the, the marketing corporations, uh, this stuff is taught to them how to do this and how to make people be, be, persuade people to do what you want them to do or to buy what they want you to buy. Bernays went through it all too. So again, old sciences and perfected by more studies upon human nature and techniques too of communication. It's all electronic today. In fact, it's incredible. Where else can you get a whole world getting the same propaganda from the same sources during a crisis like this as today? It's just astonishing, eh? The COVID. You'll find that the Fauci and the rest of them and Bill Gates aren't just getting hit in America and the West. It's all over the world. The same people are, are, are getting it translated to them. That's immense power, isn't it? And, of course, the danger is always, once again, I don't care who's presenting what and how real something may be or may not be. The danger with when it's unification of propaganda then there's no counter to it. There's no other point of view. And that's incredibly dangerous. The whole idea of democracy is supposedly based on opposing opinions and debate. We don't have that now because you're in a post-democratic system. And the system is unrolled as your scientific socialism, your scientific elite running the show, your technocracy, an old idea, very old, and uh, and that's what's been un- unrolled, basically. Uh, even with the League of Nations that was really put out on behalf of the same organizations that ruled the, the old world and the British Empire at that time. Uh, the, the richest people in, the, in London backed the League of Nations and helped finance it and create it. Uh, the, the Royal Institute for International Affairs set up and drafted up everything. The Lord Alfred Milner group actually were behind it at that time. It blossomed into the Royal Institute for International Affairs and had the branches across the whole planet now. The whole European Parliament is members of it for the European Parliament group. And the Asian Pacific group too, based in Japan, is still on the go, running Australia and China and other places. 
So it's uh, incredibly powerful, and they've kept it fairly low-key, but everybody who's anybody in government across these nations are all part of the same organization, and in the U.S. is the CFR. So they, they set up the whole system. They set up the banking system, the League of Nations, they blossomed the United Nations, and they set up the Bank for International Settlements, awfully important, which is coming into its own right now, more so than ever before, because they're the ones who decide on currencies and the value of every nation's currency, according to debts, etc. Remember, it's privately owned, although we fund it to the same, the beautiful, like public-private, they own it, we, we, we just fund it and, and pay for its costs. And you also have the IMF, International Monetary Fund, same group that created that too. And uh, they they come in as the heavy guys when you can't pay back the loans, and they they bring you down to utter austerity to try pay back the loans by cutting your health care and everything else they can cut back on. Folk don't even know that when Maggie Thatcher was in, the IMF came in for a good part of that reign and ran uh, the policies of Britain behind the scenes, cut back everything. So these are the same institutions, all run by a, a private company and set by a private company who also brought you the European Union. They drafted up the, the whole idea of the European Union and helped implement it, appointing the people to be leaders. And they drafted up the NAFTA agreement, the North American Free Trade Agreement. It's now, gra- it's now morphed into the same, agree- same agree- deal. To, everybody was talking about NAFTA. It became so common folk knew what it meant. And so they changed the name to the U.S., uh, MCA, I think it was called. But it's the same organization running the show. So, uh, and of course the Pacific Rim uh, Group 2 uh, was the next step to after China. So we're, we're well on our way to this integrated world run by uh, the same group. Anybody who's anybody has to belong to these groups. And of course they always pretend that, that when they go into become prime minister or president that, uh, well, uh, temporarily, it's just, I'm not, I don't belong to them temporarily. Well, who's kidding who? But they, they take their, 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 is it taking off your Boy Scout socks or something? It makes you, come on. Of course they're still members of it. And Carl quickly talked about that. He was so proud of it, the fact that pretty well every country was run by them. And every member of parliament at the top were all members of it in, in the old British Commonwealth countries and in India. And there's the ones who are brought to power by the same financial people. They, if you've got money, you can bring anybody to power and put any dummy you want in the front. Quite easy to do. And they really don't like, you know, they really don't like this idea of democracy. The Club of Rome have gone through it ad nauseum, the Club of Rome, from their own writings and Limits to Growth and, and all the other, one, other books, books about since then. They go on about this, this failure of democracy. That they, they can't get the big agendas through because of folk arguing they don't want it and they decide no. So they don't believe you have the right to say no to anything that they want. <laughs> It's always been a nuisance to tyrants and, and nobility, and but now it's this big, big group at the top. I mean, it hasn't changed. And once again, they're out right now with, oh, this democracy idea is just in the way. We've got to bypass it with the crisis and overrule it with the crisis, etc., etc., for the new system. They want it permanent, of course. But there's nothing new in this. Democracy was a joke. 
I've read some books put out by acquaintances of Winston Churchill. They all belong to the same, the same uh, private clubs in London, contemporaries and, and peers of Churchill, talking, uh, at least they meet even during World War I and discuss, and through their, over their brandies and the cigars and so on, but they, they would discuss uh, even the, when they were getting bombed by the by the Zeppelins in World War One, they could hear the explosions in the distance, but they're chatting, not worrying about the future and all that. And, and they were talking about this 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 joke, this joke that they, they didn't even treat seriously uh, of democracy. And Churchill made quite a few statements about democracy, those behind it, and yada yada yada. But they would use it, but they, 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 they knew it was a joke, especially in Britain, where the Crown, everything was owned by the Crown, the police are owned by the Crown, the Army and the Air Force and, and the Navy is owned by the Crown. Their post offices are owned by the Crown, you know, everything's the Crown. And the Commonwealth countries are the same, still are, by the way. That's where they, that's where they, they, they swear allegiance to. There's never a mention of serving the people, you know, anywhere as always to, to the crown, which is a whole, so it makes everything a whole farce of de- democracy. Exactly that is a farce, and you find uh, once in a while you'll see even recent years the the list of people even from the Labour Party. It doesn't matter what party they belong to because the whole politics is a big party from beginning to end on our tab, but. The, 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 even in the Labour Party, they all want to get knighted. Britain's had top Marxists knighted by the Crown. Why do you think the Crown would knight Marxists and revolutionaries that supposedly would be there to tear them down and abolish the Crown? Yeah, I'll leave you with these little, little puzzles. Eh? But that's the reality of what we're living through. It's a system. It's the same characters run, have run us for a hundred odd years. They were running the world, the Western world, and, and Europe openly from the 1880s right up to, to, as I say, Carl Quigley mentioned it in his book 1960s. He mentioned that for about the last 80 years, he said, every president and prime minister belongs to this organization in the last 60 years or so, or 80 years. Well, he's gone back in the 1880s. And then I should give talks and say that people should be, when you, if you wanted real politics, even though you'd always have to watch everybody with like incredible, you'd have to have parties of the civilian populations just to monitor and watch them and rotate them every few weeks before they got bribed and paid off and bought over. That, that's what you'd have to really do. But anyone running for politics should put on the table, cars on the table, what they belong to and what organizations are members of. And, and, and who they've sworn allegiance to in the past before you'd even consider them eligible for politics. That'll never happen either, but uh, that's what you'd have to, uh, literally have to do. Because the people are never served, as you know. And at the other side of it, too, the same group that give you this, this form of democracy today, right? The same people who laugh at it give you the ones who cause dissension so the people can never unify against anything. They give you all the different race-baiting groups and, and leaders for all these things too. That's all intentional, it's deliberate. 
uh, and it makes it non-functional and eventually it'll collapse as it's meant to do and so folk will be quite glad to take over some technocratic system or just take us over and run us properly we're so sick of this it's all deliberate folks you know it doesn't happen by itself <laughs> 